Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn uh, to the book of Micah. Uh, Micah is real easy to find. It's right between Jonah and Nahum. So uh, I'll give you a couple of seconds to find that. If you were a sword drill champion, you could probably find it in a couple of seconds. But uh, I even printed it in the bulletin today. Uh, just one verse. We thought about the first week we talked about Christmas. We thought about the uh, gospel in the garden, Christmas in Genesis. And then we went uh, last Sunday to the gospel in Isaiah, the Christmas story from Isaiah talking about the virgin birth. And today we're going to be hearing from Micah about where Jesus would be born. So if you found Micah now, would you join me in standing and uh, let us show our respect for the reading of the word of God. And this is the word of the living God. But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, uh, Isaiah told us that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Moses told us in Genesis that the seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of woman. And now Micah, one of the minor prophets. Now they're not called minor because they're not important, all right? They're called minor because they are shorter prophets. They did not write as long as uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah uh, and Daniel even. Uh, and so these are called the minor prophets, not because their message is not important, but because their books are shorter. And here right in the middle of Micah is a promise about the Messiah, about where he would be born. Later on, when the wise men came to King Herod and they said, where uh, is the Messiah going to be born? Where's the king going to be born? Herod didn't know himself. That shows how pious Herod was. But he sent to the uh, learned scholars there in Jerusalem, and they said, oh, King Herod, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And so he sent the wise men to Bethlehem, and then he sent soldiers to Bethlehem to try to find Jesus and to kill him, and they slew every male child under the age of two there in Bethlehem trying to stop the Messiah from becoming the king of kings and lord of lords. It was futile, but Herod had to seek from the scholars where he'd be born. Uh, but all the people that studied God's word would have known that out of Bethlehem he would come. I love what John MacArthur said. He says, this verse says that there will be a ruler born in Bethlehem who has been alive forever. Amen. What a message that is. Uh, Jesus did not just come into existence when he was born uh, of Mary in uh, Bethlehem. He had been existent, preexistent with the Father from eternity past. Jesus has no beginning and he has no end. But there was a time when he stepped out of heaven and stepped through the womb of a virgin and came upon the earth for a period of 33 years. And after those 33 years, he was crucified, buried, rose again, and ascended to the Father. He is our ever-living Savior. And by the way, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, he did not, uh, he was not born like I was born. He was virgin born. I was not born a virgin. You were not born a virgin. He is the only one who has been virgin born. But I want you to know this, before he was born of a virgin, he was coexistent with the Father and the Spirit from eternity past. There has never been a time when Jesus did not exist. He has always been the eternal Son of God. Now, who was Micah? 
Well, Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. Micah prophesied from 735 to 700 B.C., a little shorter than Isaiah did. During his ministry in Judah, Israel, the northern kingdom, fell. But there was corruption in Judah, and false prophets turned people away from the Lord. Priests were greedy and unpure, impure, and the rich oppressed the poor. Now, his Hebrew name, and this is, uh, this is the man that wrote this book, his Hebrew name is Misahayahu. Now, aren't you glad they shortened that to Micah? Uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be hard, you'd have a hard time learning to say that word, uh, but uh, his name means who is like God. His name is also similar to the archangel Michael, for whom I'm named, and the word Michael uh, literally means who is like El, who is like God, and there are many names in the Bible for God. El is one of them, and the term Yahoo is a, is a form of Jehovah, so uh, Michael was reminding us, he is saying who is like Jehovah, so that's the theme of, of his book. But in this verse, we're told about Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now I want to say this about Bethlehem. There are burdens that Bethlehem has had to bear. The first time we find Bethlehem in the Bible, we find it in terms of a place of sorrow. Uh, the Bible says that Jacob loved Rachel. If you remember the story, Jacob was running away from his brother Esau. He went to live with his uncle Laban. When he got there, he saw that Laban had two daughters that were, uh, that he, that were nice girls, but uh, he was smitten by Rachel. And he told Uncle Laban, Uncle, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel to be my wife. Now, I want to talk to you young people. If somebody loves you, they ought to be willing to work for your parents seven years before they marry you, all right? I have that planned. I've got my talk planned for when Lily Grace has a boyfriend that wants to marry her. I said, well, son, you can marry her after you work for Scotty and Christy for seven years. I will sign the consent agreement for you to marry her uh, after that time, not before then. But you know, that, that's a sign that true love really does why. I mean, you know, can you imagine how Rachel felt? He loves me enough to work seven years for me. Uh, that, that's what true, see, true love means you're willing to give and give and give. And that's why, why happy marriages happen. Two givers have a happy marriage. Uh, a giver and a taker will have a rocky marriage at best. And two takers won't, won't last long and it won't be pretty. But uh, uh, Jacob said, I'm willing to work. And after seven years, he got married. Now, in those days, the brides wore heavy veils. And they didn't take the veil off until after the wedding ceremony. In fact, they didn't take the veil off until after the next morning. And so the next morning, Jacob rolls over expecting to see Rachel, and he looks in bed with him there, and there is Leah. Now, I want to tell you, that was not a happy honeymoon. In fact, the Bible says Jacob lifted up his eyes and wept. I bet they had to go to marriage counseling after that. And uh, he went back to uh, Laban and said, well, you tricked me. And Laban said, well, I've heard about what you did to your brother. I thought you tricked me. So he said, I just played a good one on you. And so he said, but you can have Rachel if you work another seven years. And so uh, he was willing to work another seven years. And so he married Rachel and he, he loved Rachel. Now Leah gave him more children than Rachel did, but he loved Rachel. And Rachel gave him his two favorite children. Uh, you know, we only had two children and, and neither one of them were our favorite. We love both of our boys the best. I'm an only child and Mary's an only child. I, I've never had to deal with sibling rivalry. Uh, my mother obviously loved me the best. 
because I was the only one. Now, there were times when she didn't love me. I'm sure of that, too. But I never had to worry about, you know, I, I was watching the Bill Gaither program last night, and he was talking about growing up with his brother. He had a brother and a sister, and he said he used to start his concerts out by saying, uh, how many of you uh, believed that your mother loved your brother better than you? And he had said a bunch of people raise their hands, and he said, uh, how many people know that, that their mother loved their brother better than them? And some more people raised their hand. He said, how many of you had your mother tell you that she loved your brother more than she loved you? Well, I hope that that wasn't your experience because uh, parents ought to love their, their children equally. But uh, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And at the birth of their second son, Benjamin, she died after giving birth to Benjamin. And he was brokenhearted. And so he wanted to bury her in a place, so he went and buried her in Bethlehem. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. When Moses wrote the words of, of Genesis, that gravestone was still standing there in Moses' day. Now, they'll take you to a place uh, that they say is, is Rachel's grave, but I can promise you the stone has not been there for 3,000 years like it should have been. So uh, I think that's uh, probably just a traditional place in the Holy Land. But the first time we have Bethlehem mentioned, it is a place of sorrow because Jacob's most loved wife died and was buried in Bethlehem. Now, there are people here this morning. There are people in the 8 o'clock service. There'll be people at the 1045 service. And this year will not be the same as Christmas has been in the past. Somebody very, very significant in your life is no longer there. And it's just different. You know, one of the things about being a Christian, we believe in heaven. And we believe that heaven, in fact, the older I get, the more real I believe heaven is to me. Heaven has always been real. Uh, but, but heaven now is more than just a, a, a beautiful isle of somewhere, as we used to sing. Heaven is a real place where real people worship God and live in perfect peace for all eternity. And there are people from this fellowship that have gone to heaven this year. And it's going to be a rough time. And some of you say, well, preacher, will I ever enjoy Christmas again? Oh, yes, you will. You say, you sound like you have experience. I do. My mother died 20 years ago this week. My mother died on the 22nd. And we buried her on the 24th on Christmas Eve day. I know what it's like to lose a mother and bury her on Christmas Eve day. You say, well, does that ruin Christmas for you? No, I love Christmas now more than I've ever loved Christmas because I think about all the blessings of God. This year is going to be really exciting for us because we hadn't seen Jake and Sarah since they told us they're expecting. And so sweet baby is coming to see Papa, And uh, sweet baby's still in, inside mama's womb. And you say, why do you call it sweet baby? I'm not going to call that baby it. That baby's too sweet to call it. I don't know if it's a boy or girl. They say they're not going to find out if it's a boy or girl. But I'm going to tell you that that's sweet baby. And sweet baby is coming to see Papa, And Papa and Mama are, are extremely happy about that. And, and so this is an exciting time. And you know what I think about? I think, boy, I, I, hope, I hope Mom and Daddy know about this. Because, because they love the grandkids. Think what they do about great-grandkids. Oh, this, this would be remarkable for them. And so really Christmas is, is still wonderful to me. I, it did not diminish. In fact, it makes me more excited every year because I know I'm getting one year closer to celebrating Christmas with my mother and daddy and people I hadn't seen in a long time. 
Bethlehem, though, started out as a place of sorrow. But then also in the Bible, Bethlehem was a place of a sovereign. Notice in 1 Samuel 16, 1, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And you remember the story, Saul had disobeyed the Lord and disobeyed Samuel. He had failed to do what God told him, and God said, I have rejected you from being king over Israel. He told uh, Samuel to go and take his horn of oil and anoint a child of Jesse who lived in Bethlehem to be the next king. Now, a king is a sovereign. He rules and reigns. And King Jesus is absolute sovereign. But before there could be a King Jesus born here on earth through the womb of a virgin, there had to be a King David anointed in Bethlehem. And so Samuel went to Bethlehem and he carried that horn of oil. And you remember the story how Jesse brought in all of his sons and there was this guy on the end. He's tall and rugged looking, handsome and, and strong. And, and Samuel goes up to him and he says, wait a minute, he's not the one. And then he goes to the next son. He's a good-looking candidate, but God said, no, not him. Finally, he gets down to the last one there, and Samuel says, well, surely this is not all of your sons. And I'll tell you how Jesse felt. He said, well, there's one left. <laughs> He's kind of the runt. In fact, we don't let him do much except shepherd sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. And when David walked in, you remember what Samuel said? This is the one the Lord has chosen for the Lord does not look on the outside. The Lord looks on the inside. And so there was a sovereign, and he was sovereignly chosen by a sovereign God. And you know why he was chosen? Because, first of all, it was God's will. And secondly, because he had a heart to serve. He had a heart to worship. You Remember what David did? He played the harp and sang for Saul, and he was known as the sweet singer of Israel. And he wrote most of the songs in the psalm book. And so he was singing praises to the Lord. He was a man who loved God. In fact, God said, here is a man after my own heart. And yet even a man after his own heart failed God miserably and failed his people miserably and fell into a tragic, heinous sin. But God forgave him. So Bethlehem is known as a place of sorrow and a place of a sovereign but then notice it's known as a place of smallness notice what Micah says though thou be small among the thousands of Judah now if you go to Bethlehem today it's no longer a small place in fact if you go to Nazareth today it's no longer a small place by the way we sing sometimes I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene uh, we call him the Nazarene because he grew up in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, lived in Bethlehem for a time, then moved to Egypt while Herod was trying to kill all the babies, and then came back from Egypt to move back to Nazareth, and Nazareth was a small town. In the days of Jesus, when Jesus was born, when Jesus grew up in Nazareth, Bethlehem and Nazareth probably had a population. Bethlehem may have been a little bit bigger, maybe four or 500, but scholars tell us that Nazareth was just a little Jewish village of 200. The amazing thing today is if you go to the Holy Land and you go to Bethlehem, Bethlehem is a thriving city, but guess what? It's no longer mainly a Jewish city. It's mainly an Arab city. In fact, it's maybe one of the most troubled cities in the world. Isn't it something that uh, 
little over 100 years ago, a preacher named Phillips Brooks was taking a, a sabbatical, and he was in the Holy Land during the Christmas season instead of preaching to his congregation. And he told his wife, he said, I'm going to get a horse, and I'm going to ride to Bethlehem tonight. And so on Christmas Eve, he got a horse and he rode to Bethlehem. It's about five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And now you can't tell where Jerusalem stops and Bethlehem begins because both of them have grown so much. But in those days, everyone lived within the walls of Jerusalem. And so when Phyllis Brooks left the walls of Jerusalem and rode into Bethlehem, there were five miles of dirt road he had to travel on. And he, when he got there, he didn't stop in the town of Bethlehem where the church of the nativity is. He rode on through the town because those were the fields that Bethlehem was famous for. All around Bethlehem were shepherd's fields. And these fields would have green grass most of the year. And shepherds could let their flocks graze. And they didn't take their flocks into town. They cooked their flocks out in the shepherd's fields around Bethlehem. And Phillips Brooks went to that shepherd's field and wrote this song, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. When I went to Bethlehem, it wasn't a little town and it wasn't very still. And in fact, when we walked into the church of the nativity, there were armed guards. And I'm talking about armed guards with automatic weapons. And some of them were Jewish and some of them were Arab. And they weren't there to fight with each other. They were there to keep the peace. I thought about that as we went into the church of the nativity. It wasn't there when Jesus was born. In fact, it's built over what they call a grotto or a cave. And they say that's where the manger was. I'm not real sure because they, they put so many symbols and signs and, and emblems on it. Uh, it, may, it was in Bethlehem and Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But Bethlehem, when Jesus was born, was a little place not like it is today. Sometimes we... Don't think much of little things. But little things can mean a lot to God. You remember David was a little boy, a little shepherd boy when he was anointed king. Uh, God uses small things. You remember that little alabaster box of ointment that lady had? And she came and washed Jesus' feet and anointed him with that oil. And old Judas said, oh, that oil's worth a lot of money. It could be sold and given to the poor. And Jesus said, leave her alone. You're going to always have poor people with you, but she has wrought a good work on me. You see that little bitty box of ointment when it broke open, that smell, that aroma, even though it was a little box, it probably cost her all the money she had. But when she broke it open, that aroma filled the entire room. You never appreciate a little light until you're in total darkness. I remember hearing stories about 9-11, when people were trying to make their way down the fire escapes and it was pitch black and some people found out if you held up your cell phone it would give you enough light to see how to get down those steps. You see, a little bit of light in a dark room is important. So little things are important to God. Don't ever overlook the little things in your life like daily devotion, like allowing Jesus to speak to you and lead and guide your life. Not just in big things, but in little things. Yeah, you need to pray when you're deciding, where am I going to go to college? What, am I going to join the military? Who am I going to marry? But I want to tell you, you need to pray over little things too. Because little things are important to God. By the way, let me say this. Broken things are important to God too. We have a thing every now and then at our house, we call it cleaning. 
and we go through and everything that's broken is not going to get fixed, we throw it away. And you say, why do you throw it away? Well, it's not worth fixing. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, it, it, it's, it's days have been all used up, you know. Might as well get rid of it. Don't, don't keep around when it's broken. Because we despise broken things, especially when they can't be fixed. Do you know what God does? He takes broken things. One day the old prophet went down to the potter's house and sat down and he watched the potter make a, on the wheel make a piece of pottery and all of a sudden something went wrong and that pottery was marred and the prophet thought, why doesn't he just throw that away? That's not what the potter did. He got some water, put some more clay with it, started working it with his hands, got it pliable, put it on the wheel and when he made it over, it was better than it had been the first time. Some of you are broken today. Let me tell you that when you're broken, you're in the potter's house. And you know who the potter is? It's Jesus. And he'll take those broken things and he'll make you out of those broken pieces better than you ever were before. Those are the burdens of Bethlehem. Let's look at the, the blessing of Bethlehem. First of all, he says a ruler. And this is the word Moshel in Hebrew. And this does not just refer to a ruler. Now, a ruler, it could be any kind of a ruler. But a Moshel is a ruler that rules with wisdom. In fact, the word Moshel is very similar to the Hebrew word for proverb. And so Solomon was a wise king, and he wrote the book of Proverbs. And this is talking about a ruler who is wise beyond even Solomon. He is a Moshel. He always makes the right decision that will be a blessing to the people he governs. Don't you wish we had some Moshels in Washington today? Unless you say, you're picking on President Obama. No, I'm picking on the whole bunch. I just want to be honest about that, okay? Uh, I, I am. I, you know, I get so fed up. Where everything becomes a political football. What we, we don't need any more politicians. We need some Moshe's and some statesmen who care more about doing what's right for America than what's expedient for their constituents. And that's exactly what we need. We need a Moshe's in Washington. I'm not sure we're going to get one. But I want to tell you this. I'm, in fact, if you come next Sunday, I'm going to tell you how to avoid falling off a cliff. I've made my mind up. I'm not going off the physical cliff. Now, y'all may go. That's up to you. If you want to go off the cliff, go ahead. I'll pick you up down to the bottom when I get there, but I'm not going off the cliff to get you. I'll wind my way to the bottom. But I made my mind up. I'm not going off the cliff. There's a story in the Bible about how some people were trying to throw Jesus off a cliff. He just said, I won't do it. If Jesus can do it, I follow him. If I'm one of his followers and I'm his disciple, can't I do what my master does? I think so. I'm not going off the physical cliff. You say, well, how are you going to do that? Come next Sunday and I'll tell you, all right? You say, I can't be here next Sunday. Well, watch it on the internet or something. But I, and I'm not going to preach that sermon today. This is, this is the sermon for today. But, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus because he's my Moshele. He is my righteous, wise leader. And then I love this, and this is beautiful. And you have to see it in the Hebrew. Now, now we know about the word yom, Y-O-M. That is the word, Hebrew word for day. And we know it mostly because of Yom Kippur, day of atonement. Uh, and that was a high holy day when the high priest went into the holy of holies and sprinkled the blood of the lamb on the altar. 
and then came back out and he only went in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. But this is not the word Yom. It is similar to it. It is Yom Olam. Yom Olam. The word Yom is the plural for Yom. It means literally days and Olam means of old. It says that he is going to be a ruler from days of old. No mere man could come from days of old. The one born in Bethlehem was present in eternity past and is now continuing the work of seeking and saving the lost, which was revealed to us through his birth in Bethlehem. And so this is a blessing of Bethlehem. Here is a wise ruler from of days of old who is born in a little town called Bethlehem. You say, well, what's the, what's the whole point of this message? Well, I really didn't have a good ending. I'm going to be honest with you. And I said, Lord, I need a good ending. Lord, I'd like a good ending. And I love endings. Sometimes I end three or four times, so don't get encouraged that we're going to end. My favorite part of the sermon is that, and I just, man, I just conclude and conclude and conclude. But last night, I was worn out from, had to do a funeral yesterday, and Mary had me working around the house. She's not a Moshell, by the way, when she's in charge. She, she, treats me, she treats me like I was hired help. And I said, yes, ma'am, because I, like I like to stay on this side of the grass, looking down on it, instead of looking up at it. And uh, so I, I sat down, and, and uh, I had gone and gotten our supper. I had a coupon, Burger King. Buy one, get one free. Whopper. I thought about the days in seminary when we'd save our money to go to the Whopper because a Whopper was 79 cents. And we'd get two Whoppers. Couldn't afford cheese because cheese was a dime extra. But they didn't charge extra for lettuce and tomato and onions. So we would order two Whoppers, no cheese, extra lettuce, tomato, and onions. It was kind of like eating a salad and a hamburger all at once. It was two meals in one. And I got there and I used my coupon. You know what Whoppers cost nowadays? <laughs> Five bucks. I, I wept. I said, seminary students can't eat like this anymore. But I got those Whoppers and took them home. And Mary was down here practicing with Karen and she came in. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching Bill Gaither. And if you watch Bill Gaither on public TV on Saturday nights. They show reruns of past shows they've done. Last night he was talking about how he got started in the music business. And he said he had written 50 songs. And he was traveling with his sister and his brother for a while. And then he met and married Gloria. And Gloria took his sister's place. And so they were writing songs and singing as the Bill Gaither Trio. And uh, they were not really widely known. But finally, one day, God gave him a song. And he said, this was a song that changed their lives. And he said they were sitting in church, and the pastor's name was Dale Oldham. He's in heaven now. And his son, Doug Oldham, used to sing on Jerry Falwell's gospel TV program. That was about the only gospel we got in New Orleans. That's what I watched every Sunday morning before I went to church in New Orleans when I was in seminary. And I'd hear Dale Oldham sing. And, and uh, Doug Oldham sang, and, and they said Dale Oldham preached a sermon. And he said, you know what? He said, Jesus came to earth because God didn't want to stay up there. 
he wanted us to know he came down here and he was talking about the story of where Jesus touched the blind man and made him see. And he looked out in the congregation and there were Bill and Gloria Gatham. And he said, Bill, somebody ought to write a song about that. God came down from heaven to earth so that he could touch us. Somebody ought to write a song about that. Bill and Gloria went home and they thought about it. And these words came out. Shackled by a heavy burden. Neath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me. And now I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something wonderful happened. He touched me and made me whole. That is why Jesus came. He came so that he could touch us. Not just the people. Not just the people that were alive then. But he wants to touch you today. He wants to take your brokenness. He wants to take your smallness. He wants to take your problems. He wants to take you. And he will. T- and by the way, he'll take you just like you are. You say, I want to change my ways before I come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, he'll change your ways. You leave the changing up to him. By the way, he can change you a whole lot better than you can change yourself. I can tell you that. It worked in this old boy. It'll work with you. Now, I want to tell you this. Don't miss Christmas. You say, I'm not going to miss it, man. I got presents. I got the tree up. I got groceries on the table. I'm not going to. You will miss Christmas if you don't let Jesus touch you. Because he came to earth. Because he didn't want us to wonder, does anybody care about me? Does anybody love me? Does anybody really know me? Jesus knows us and yet loves us still. I hope this Christmas you'll let Jesus touch you. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, thank you for sending your son in a small, out-of-the-way place called Bethlehem. A son who had been your son from eternity past and is the eternal son of God forever and ever, days without end. I'm thankful that he is the eternal son of God. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you've touched my life over and over and over again. When I'm down, you lift me up. Lord, sometimes when I'm proud, you bring me down. But Lord, you do it because you love me. And Lord, there are people in this room who desperately need to know today that you love them, that you're real that you're not some figment of my imagination, that you're not something that people a long time ago made up and wrote a book about, but you're a God who has revealed himself through his inspired word and that every word in this Bible is inspired by you so that you could touch us and make us whole. Now, Father, I pray today that we not just observe Christmas as a holiday to be with family and friends and give gifts and eat food and have a good time, but that we'd remember Christmas is when God touched us because he loved us through his son, the Lord Jesus. Father, if there are people here today that need to be saved, if there are people here today who need to repent and get right with you, if there are people here this morning who need to follow you in believer's baptism, if there are people here this morning who need a fresh hope, who who need a fresh touch,
Lord, I'm thankful that, that we're not like lepers where you're afraid to touch us, but your arms are open wide and, and you say, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Father, I pray that those who need rest will find it today in Jesus Christ, and may he touch us all. Mm-hmm.